Wolf once said, two out of three ain't bad. Then what's three out of four? Even better. Even better. Uh, that's the way of introducing this episode of Guarding the Corner. I am James. That was Brian Fraley uh, commenting with even better. It's a good, good weekend series for the Guardians that they're just coming off of. Uh, pretty, pretty entertaining. I think it went better than I thought it was going to. Yeah, better than both of us thought. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before we started the series, I'd be happy with the split, and uh, we got three out of four. So, um, yeah, really, really good weekend for this young team. Um, some really big wins, and overall, really entertaining weekend of baseball. I mean, these games were really, really exciting for the most part. Very uh, entertaining, very engaging. Uh, yeah, games. that's a good way to put it. And you know, even when you got a, a rainout game and a doubleheader coming the next day sometimes it's hard to keep that engagement over the course of an, an entire day of baseball especially one where uh attendance is low as per <laughs> usual yeah the attendance numbers were not great for that one um but mother's day the attendance looked good I, there was definitely more than ten thousand people there i think so that's got to be a first since opening day um so yeah I, I think that people by the end of the weekend were starting to get excited about what they were seeing um with the first couple games yeah, according to uh, ESPN, the attendance was just under 15,000 yesterday. So there we go. Pre- awesome. pre- pretty nice send-off uh, for the Guardians before they head out on their upcoming road trip. But before we get to that and everything else, real quick, like, comment, share, subscribe, rate five stars, tell your friends and family. If you don't, it's stealing. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and this is BelieveOne.com. Okay. Do all of those things. <laughs> Do all of them. Listen to all of them. All of them. Every single thing. Subscribe everywhere. Rate five stars. Share everywhere. Whatever you got to do. But right. let's get this started with Thursday's game. Pretty, game uh, pretty entertaining game. Uh, especially considering that they went down early. Yes, they did, which was kind of the theme of the weekend for them. Um, but yeah, that top of the first inning, Vlad Guerrero with the, the home run to left field um, scored two. And that's kind of, it, it felt like, oh God, is this going to set the tone for the entire series? You know, because they have a very potent lineup. Um, a lot of guys that aren't hitting to their uh, ability just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of fear there in me, like, oh, God, are these guys getting hot right at the start of the series? Uh, might not be good, uh, but bounced back really nicely after that shaky top of the first inning. It, yeah, it really seemed like that could have been a tone setter for the series, and it could have been a very long weekend. Yeah. Uh, and, but no, uh, just a couple innings later, first career home run for uh, Stephen Kwan. Incredible. Yeah, that that was something that I did not expect. <laughs> um, you always expect Quan to, to go up there and, and have good at-bats and, and see good pitches and swing at good pitches and not swing at miss very often. But uh, to see him get one over uh, was really, really cool. Um, and you could tell how excited everybody was for him. He got a little bit of the silent treatment when he got back, but they couldn't hold they couldn't hold it for very long because the guy you could tell they all love each other so much. It was it was great to see how stoked they were for him to get that one over. Yeah, I mean, it, it barely got over. Uh, Stephen Kwan is not uh, Framio Reyes. Uh, he, does uh, not, no. he does not hit fucking moon bombs, okay? <clears throat> Stephen Kwan hit the wall scrapiest of wall scrapers. 
that's a good way to put it. It was a wall scraper for sure. It it bounced off that little like landing section that people use as a table uh, out in right field. <laughs> so actually, believe it or not, this says would it dong? It would have donged at twenty one of thirty ballparks because he hit it to the right field. It was he pulled it pretty good. Yeah. Um, so actually, yeah, twenty one out of thirty ballparks. But yeah, nine ballparks where that would have stayed in. Uh, launch angle only 28 degrees and 99.5 exit velo, so didn't even crack 100. Uh, so yeah, not not a uh, typical moonshot that you would see from someone like Fran Miller, Jose. This was definitely a wall scraper. Yeah, you know, very very important home run not only for Quan but for the Guardians in this game because they were able to tie the game up and you know kind of take that momentum back. You know, kind of you know recapture. Uh, you know, all of the good uh, energy and have it be on their uh, their side of the, you know, the field. Yeah, I mean, what what a better way to do it, too, than, you know, the one guy that nobody's expecting to go up there and hit a home run goes up and hits a home run. Um, I mean, that's just, like, huge for, for your confidence. And mm-hmm. um, you could see, you know, the next couple innings, like, the bats really warmed up and we started hitting them very well. Um, it definitely felt like, you know, whereas we thought Vlad's home run might be the tone setter, uh, it actually ended up being Stephen Kwan's home run in the bottom of the third that was really the tone setter for the rest of the series um, because it, it just was the story of the series for us was just clawing back and, and uh, you know, giving up the first runs but finding a way to win. Yeah, and uh, all the, like you said, all the other bats kind of, you know, perked up a little bit. They they added four more runs over the next two innings, you know, one in the fourth, three in the fifth. And it, it was just that fifth inning little run there where they just scored three runs, just one, two, three. Yeah, that, was, that awesome. was huge. That was huge. Yeah. You know, uh, Andres Jimenez capping it off with the RBI double. Yeah, that was huge. And we needed every one of those runs, too. It ended up being a one-run game. Um, so, yeah, having that three-run bottom of the fifth was awesome. Um, and like you said, just one guy after the other, just going up and clutch hit after clutch hit. And, um, you know, we saw Reyes really get hot in this game. And he's a guy we've been waiting all year to get hot. Um, he had three hits in this game and the one RBI. So it was like it, that, that that home run by Quan really sparked this offense. And, you know, we, we started to see good thing after good thing from, you know, people further down in the order, too. Yeah, I mean, Austin Hedges even got a hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the black hole in our lineup. Austin Hedges got a hit, so everybody, you know, it's a hit parade when Austin Hedges gets on base. Oh yeah, you absolutely do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk starting pitching. Uh, they took it to Jose Barrios. They really did. Uh, four four and two thirds innings pitched, uh, eight hits and six earned runs, and then he had the one walk and no Ks, which was really shocking. That's that's a rough outing. Yeah, rough outing. Only 82 pitches, uh, 59 thrown for strikes. Um, yeah, he did not have it. A um, lot, of, lot of balls, like hard hit balls off of him. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that usually means that your, your stuff's not working very great. Um, but yeah, it, it was just like one hit after the other. Once the dam broke, uh, his day just got progressively worse and worse. Um, and, and like I said, it end, we ended up needing every one of those runs because they ended up having a really nice uh, outing by a couple guys from their bullpen. Yeah, Lawrence and Richards uh, shut things down for the final three and a third. Only allowed three hits and a walk. Richards got three strikeouts for uh, Toronto. 
But uh, yeah, they hadn't got any strikeouts up until that point. So yeah, they started getting guys swing and miss and uh, held us scoreless from the fifth inning on. Mm-hmm. They, they they really did. They were able to, I guess, keep them in the game. I mean, they were able to to cut it to one. But uh, Aaron Savali, eight strikeouts was impressive. That was impressive. The four earned runs and the home run allowed, not so much. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, live without those. But to see eight Ks from Savali, really impressive. Um, and, and the most important thing for me in this outing from him was he threw 99 pitches. You know, he, he completed a full outing, uh, five and two-thirds innings of work. Um, so I, I think he did a really nice job bouncing back after that uh, Vlad home run. You know, that, that could have really been... Um, the tone setter for the rest of his outing. And even though he did give up the four earned runs, um, you know, he held us in the game up until that point and allowed the offense to claw back. Yeah, and into that point, at the, the moment where he gave up the last two runs, uh, you know, with Collins' double, like, it really felt like that Savali shouldn't have been even in the game at that point. Yeah, I agree with you there. Like, I, I know it's a four-game series, it's a long series, whatever, but, like, it, it was it was not a good inning for him before he got the, the strikeout and the flyout. A five-pitch single to Bo Bichette. He hit Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with the next pitch. Yeah, you could tell things were uh, going downhill fast for him. I was surprised they didn't pull him earlier as well. Uh, I think a lot of that does have to do with what you just mentioned. You know, it's a four-game series. Um, they they want to get a full outing out of these guys. And, you know, with the, the short outings that they've been limiting these guys to, I think part of that, too, was they wanted him to get 100 pitches. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they kept him in there a little longer than they should have. And it, it almost cost us the game because, you know, we did only win by one run. Yeah. Yeah, that could have been very, uh, very... Uh, uh... Disastrous. There we go. Disastrous. That's the word. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Sandlin came in. He got them out of the inning. Then he gave up a home run to Kirk in the seventh. God, Kirk is a massive human being. The dude's huge. Yeah, he takes up the entire batter's box. Like, he reminds me a lot of, uh, he's in Milwaukee now, I think. But you remember Rowdy Telez? Oh, Yeah. I remember Rowdy. I had a cat named Rowdy, so yeah. I always remember that name. Yeah, he's got a big body like him, and I remember on the Brewers not too long ago, they had Rowdy Telez and Daniel Volkovac in the same lineup. Oh, God. Big That's boys. Two big boys, two big softball players. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Kirk's like, he's like what a cartoon character of a catcher always is when they like draw kids playing at the Sandlot. It's always like the fat kid behind home plate. Like, it's just such a, a caricature of a catcher. It's so funny. Yeah, he's 5'9", 220. <laughs> yeah, he's built exactly like you, you would think a catcher is built based off of, uh, I guess we'll say, stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that was such a stereotype. Well, no, it does make sense. You know, the guy that moves the slowest, put him behind the plate so he doesn't have to run anywhere. Well, you know, I remember I went to, to high school with someone who was on the baseball team, and you know, uh, someone who asked him or you know, found out about him being on the baseball team. He's like, "What position do you play, catcher?" <laughs> he was, a, I think, he was a first baseman or a pitcher or something. But the, it was just kind of funny, just because he was a he was a larger individual, and the yeah. first like, "What position do you play, catcher?" It was just the the first thing out of this person's mouth. 
It's so funny. Yeah, it, it seems like the big boys are always – they're either starting pitchers or they're catchers. Yeah, I mean, you, you have the, the big catcher here like Alejandro Kirk, and on the other side of uh, the coin you have uh, – Martello you know, Colon, CC Sabathia. Yeah. Big dudes. Yeah. Uh, for reference, uh, Jose Ramirez is 5'9 as well, but 190. Right. So considerable difference there. He's a lot girthier. So, 220, 190, pretty, big difference. Pretty, pretty big difference. Uh, yeah, you can see it. But anyways, uh, wrapping this game up, uh, they were able to get a save out of Emmanuel Classe, who's on a nice little run. Yeah, he really is. Uh, he came in and really shut the door in this one. Um, didn't allow anybody to get on base at all, which was nice. Um, yeah, 13 pitches, 11 thrown for strikes, which is exactly what you want from him. You want him to come in and throw smoke and hit corners and get guys to swing and miss, and that's exactly what he did here. Uh, two strikeouts, and he got the save. Yes, this is the, let's see, seventh straight, or no, it was a fifth straight outing for him without allowing um, a run to come across the score. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And that's huge for a guy that we've seen be shaky at times. Um, so to have to put consecutive outings back to back together like he's been doing uh, is massive for his confidence. Yeah, so very impressive outing for Mr. Classe at the back end of the game. Any other thoughts about this particular one before we uh, move on into the doubleheader? Uh, no, I would just say the big big story here of Fran Mill getting hot because uh, that kind of carried into a couple of these next games. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to point that out that this was kind of Fran Mill's breakout game this year. Um, but other than that, nope, good game. And, you know, you said uh, Fran Mill had a nice little breakout uh, in this series, and he did. He was impressive. Um, yeah. A little bit more impactful in Game 2 than Game 1 of the doubleheader, but in, in Game 1, he did go 1 for 3 with a walk. Right, which for him is <laughs> that's a considerable considerable improvement over what we've been seeing from him. Um, a lot of swinging and misses at bad pitches, so to get a walk was huge. Um, but yeah, it, it, one for three, so he continued his hit streak here. Um, but yeah, he was definitely way more impactful in game two of this uh, doubleheader. So my main takeaway from game one is. Shane Bieber did not look good. No, he didn't. He This was not a typical Shane Bieber outing. This was the first start for Shane Bieber in which he failed to record a strikeout. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, I remember he had the streak of, uh, what was it, 10 Ks in a row. Oh, he had yeah. some ridiculous number of uh, 10 strikeout games in a row. Um, so, yeah, for him, that's very out of character. He is not a hit-to-contact type of guy he's a you know he's a strikeout guy and he didn't manage to get any against this team I, I think I saw someone screen grab uh, something from either Statcast or something that uh, pays attention to uh, you know pitch speeds and I think they screen grabbed uh, one of Bieber's fastballs only being 88 miles an hour yeah which is not good um, that's a down considerable amount um, you know, we talked about it, uh, the last podcast, too, that, it, you know, this is kind of a league-wide thing. A lot of guys are having this issue. Um, but, yeah, I, I think with 
all the things surrounding, you know, the ball and is it different and whatnot, it appears to be affecting Bieber uh, in a major way. It's, it's impacting Bieber for sure. I mean, this was hands down his worst start of the year. But I mean, before this, he had an ERA of, you know, under two and a half. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And, you right. know, he had 29 strikeouts in the five games beforehand. You know, right. he, he only allowed, you know, uh, in the first three starts, he allowed eight total hits. And, you know, right. uh, unfortunately, seven in back-to-back starts before eight on Saturday, but it just, it wasn't a good outing. Uh, maybe, maybe it just wasn't a, a good opponent for him. I don't know. Like it could be, could just be a bad, bad matchup for him. You know, a lot of guys that see him, see his pitching well. Um, but you know, we saw on the other end, Gossman was throwing a lot of balls out too. You know, he had, a, a, there was a couple times during the game where it, it, it seemed like every time he threw a pitch, he was getting a new ball. So it was just something that I noticed this game, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but it seemed like both of them were kind of having issues with the ball this game. Um, but, yeah, not a typical Shane Beaver outing. Um, would have liked to have seen better from him. He only lasted three and a third innings and only threw 71 strikes. So uh, this one was one of those games that was pretty much over early. Um, did not have the answer that we did in game one. No, and, and for like a brief moment early on in the third when they made it 4-1, to one, they're like, okay, we're on the board. Maybe we can like rally or something or, you know, put something together, you know, you know, long game type thing. You know, it, you know every drop helps or whatever, you know what, I, you know what I'm talking about? But yep. it, that was the one run they scored up into the eighth and Toronto was just like, yeah, we're going to pile on more here in the fourth or three more than another in the seventh. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, not good. And, and then there was only uh, after Gaussman was pulled too, no hits uh, for the Guardians. Yeah, that's, um, there that's was just tough. The, just the th- just the three walks. That was the uh, the only way we got on base um, was the walks. So yeah, uh, we were not seeing the ball well. And you know th- these games will happen from time to time, and you know in double headers especially are notorious for a game where a, a team just lays an egg. Yeah, absolutely. And for this one, it, it, I I expected, you know, a split at best, but um, I had the game two circled for the one that I thought would have been the dud. Um, I thought game one, Beaver comes out, you know, does his thing, come away with the victory. Game two, maybe lay an egg. But uh, the, this was kind of backwards for us. Uh, fortunately, it was backwards for us because, uh, you know, we did some nice things in game two. But um, this was overall a very, very bad game for the Guardians. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much uh, no production after Owen Miller in the four spot. Framiel Reyes did a good one for three, but Naylor, Rosario, Palacios, Hedges, and Andres Jimenez were all hitless in the game. Yeah, you can't have that. And, and this is another one of those situations, like, before the season started, we said there's going to be a lot of games where you circle the bottom half of that order, and there's just going to be a lot of zero hits there. Um, and when we do see that, you know, it, it shows like that we have a hard time winning games when we don't get production out of the bottom of the lineup. Um, and this was just like a microcosm of that entire uh, conundrum that they found themselves in this year with a, a very weak bottom half of the order. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rosario Palacios Hedges were the bottom three for most of the game. Jimenez had a, uh, an appearance late in the nine spot, but they all combined to go over 12. Yeah, not good. You know, you add Naylor's 0 for 3, that's that's 
0 for 15, then if you want to add in Reyes's 1 for 3 in there, they went 1 for 18 from 5 through 9. Yeah, and what you want to see from guys in the bottom of the order, you want, you know, you want them to see pitches, you know, get guys pitch counts up. Uh, if you're going to not produce, at least have long at-bats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of those guys walked either. Um, so, you know, they, they just could not, couldn't get on base anyway. And that's, you know, you got to get on any way you can. And they just were not, the bottom of the order was really, really off this game. So it just seemed like every time we got to the bottom of the order, it was like, yep, yeah, it's going to be a one, two, three inning. You're right. It, it really did feel like there's, okay, like let's, let's just wrap it up so we can start over with Miles Straw. Maybe he can get another <laughs> exactly. hit, you know, two for three, steal a yeah. base. Yeah. God, there was a moment where there was, I think uh, there was a guy on first late in the game with a walk. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking there's a guy on first and one out. I'm like, man, it, it would be nice if we could just take the out here so we don't ground into a double play. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the, the opposite of an intentional walk where you just turn around to the ump and just say, look, I don't have it today. I'm not going to ground into a double play. I don't want to swing and miss and accidentally do something here. Uh, we'll, we'll take the out. Um, that's how bad those guys at the bottom of the order were. It was like, God, he's going to ground into a double play here. And I'm pretty sure it was a ground into double play in that situation. So, Ugh, Yeah, not, not great. No, not the best. I mean, stuff like that happens. Sometimes you just have one of those days where it's just like, yeah, not going to happen here. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. it. It was one of those days for the offense where they just did not have it. Yeah, it was the bottom of the eighth. Miller grounded into a field of choice with the bases loaded. Right, and that's when Straw scored. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, so that that's that's the wonderful uh, game one of the doubleheader. I don't know how much uh, more we can really add on to about that. They they stunk that game. Shane Bieber did not have a good game and. Toronto uh, brought their uh, their hitting bats. Yeah, that's a game you like to uh, have a short memory for. You want to forget that one quickly. Um, and you have to when you have a doubleheader. Um, and fortunately, it looks like the guys did that very well. They left this one behind them and um, ended up having a really good game in uh, game two of this doubleheader. They, they really did. Uh, you know, carrying on a similar theme from this entire series, uh Looked like it was going to be a tone setter run for the Blue Jays in the top of the first after Bo Bichette doubled home George Springer. But, yeah, it, it was here we go again. Uh, another top of the first uh, advantage for the Blue Jays, and it, this is the third game in a row. Uh, so, yeah, it did feel like, oh, no, is this going to be one of those tone setters? Uh, but we came up swinging in the bottom of the first and did some damage. Yeah, Owen Miller, Andres Jimenez uh, drove in three runs in the bottom of the first combined between the two of them. So that was good to see. You know, Owen Miller is, he's turning into one of my favorite players in the lineup. You know, if he wasn't already. (laughs) I don't know about you. (laughs) He's just seeing it so well right now. And like, his swing looks great. I mean, the ball sounds amazing off his bat. He's hitting everything hard. Um, hitting in clutch moments, the guy's doing it all right now at a position where like, you know, we've had guys like Yu Chang and guys like Bobby Bradley. And now with Owen Miller, it's like, you feel like you have a guy that's like an anchor in that lineup. And I did not expect him to be that guy this early on in this season, but here we are. And he's sitting with a 353 batting average, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, slugging 580 something. Um, so yeah, he's, 
he's been really, really good. Um, and, and we've needed a guy to be good in that four spot in the lineup, and he really was on this day. Yeah, he, he had a really good game. Two for three, drove in a couple, scored twice. I mean, what more can you really ask for, for you know a guy in the in the four spot in the order, hitting between a, Jose Ramirez and Framil Reyes? Exactly. And, and on this day, uh, Framil was hot too. You know, he kept his little hitting streak going and uh, found himself over the Mendoza line by the end of the day. Uh, which is huge. Hey! So, yeah, he was uh, three at-bats, two hits, two RBIs. Uh, he did strike out once. Um, but overall, really, really good day for him. You know, very good day. And that's that's what you really like to see. That's what you want to see. Because the month of April was a complete disaster for Framiel. Okay. He, he struck out 35 times. He did have two homers, but... He walked only three times. He only had 10 hits. He had a 135, 169, 216 slash line. Not good. Not good. Now, this encompasses Sunday's game as well, but in the month of May, his slash line is 522, 560, 696 on 1.256 OPS. He's homered once. He's doubled once, but he's driven in five runs. Dude's on fire right now. He has 12 hits in what, six games in May? He had yeah. 10 over the entire course of April. Yeah, and I mean, talk about scary for opposing teams if he gets hot right now. I mean, if, if Owen Miller, obviously he's going to have a little bit of a regression, but if he could stay productive in his spot um, and we can get production out of Fran Mill like this, like Jose Ramirez, he just won AL Player of the Month like with, those guys, with Fran Mill hitting like shit. Like, I feel like that's only going to make Jose better, uh, having Owen Miller and Fran Mill behind, you know, offering some big power in their bats. Yeah, and, you know, uh, on most days it's strong Quan ahead of him, so there's a good chance there's someone on base when Jose comes up to bat, and that is so refreshing, honestly. It, it really is. And, and, I mean, Quan in the leadoff spot, Quan in the two spot, however you put it, like, he's a guy you know is going to get on base somehow. Uh, and Brazario was really good this day too at uh, getting on base. Uh, he had the one hit, but he also had the one walk. Um, so yeah, it, these guys were on base for for Jose and Owen and and Framil, and ultimately that's what got the job done. You know, those guys coming up to bat and having clutch hits and doing what you want a four hitter and a five hitter to do and drive in runs. Yeah, I, I think a, a couple other crucial things to take away here, in contrast of the terrible loss the night uh, in the first game, uh, mm-hmm. and this game, the bottom half of the order actually did something. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and we saw how much of a difference it made. You know, eight to two ball game. You know, eight runs with the bottom of the bottom of the order doing a lot of the damage. Yeah, I mean, uh, Framil was two for three. Andres Jimenez two for four. Oscar Mercado was 0 for 2, but he did walk, uh, and he did have a uh, sack fly, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he had a sack fly late in the game, and he scored a run as well. Uh, Luke Maley went 1 for 4, of all people, and Ernie Clement was 1 for 2. Right, and, and like we were saying earlier, the 8 and 9 spot have been black holes in this lineup, so to get something out of those two spots was huge as well. Um, and, and Jimenez, man, he's really starting to look like the player we traded for. Um, he's batting 348 on base percentage, 352, slugging 530 something. My page cut off. Um, but yeah, he's had 536. 
I think he has eight multi-hit games already, uh, leads the team with multi-hit games. Um, so he's he's really coming into his own in the bottom of the order there. Yeah, uh, very, very key part of kind of the extended part of the, the lineup. Because he, I don't think he's going to be a, a top-half lineup guy, but I think he'd be a very productive guy in the sixth spot. I mean, you still need a good bat in the sixth spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, as good as he has been defensively, you know, like, that's that's what you want. Like, it, you just want him to produce something. Um, and, and he's really, really seeing the ball well right now. Um, and like I said, he's a tremendous fielder. So, you know, you know you could stick him anywhere, which is nice. Yeah, uh key point here the bottom the five through nine here went mm-hmm. six for 15 in this game damn six That's for 15 two walks compare that to the one for 18 the, in the earlier game so right and the earlier game we scored three runs this run or this game we scored eight yeah. so yeah you, you could see how much an impact it has when the bottom half of your order um gets on base and drives guys in as well yeah uh you know, the, they did a really good job with that. The uh, the order as a, you know, the lineup as a whole did a good job of knocking around uh, Ross Stripling. Yeah, uh, they really got to him well. You know, they had, they had five hits, they walked once, but, you know, four runs, the one home run from Reyes, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, they got to him. They, they scored runs off of every Blue Jays pitcher. And I think that's that's a very important takeaway here is that it didn't matter if it was Ryan Stripling or David Phelps. You know, they were just like, yeah, we're going to score runs off you. Yeah, that was really awesome to see. And a lot of that has to do with the consistency from the bottom of the order. Because, like, in these other games you would see, we'll we'll have a two-run bottom of the inning or a three-run bottom of the inning. And then we'll go zero, 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 because the guys at the bottom of the order are just not hitting. Uh, in this game, you know, through through the eight innings that we batted, three one. Uh, Three runs in the first, zero in the second, one in the third, zero in the fourth, one in the fifth, two in the sixth, one in the seventh, and then none in the eighth. But, yeah, so there's only the three innings there with no runs. Mm-hmm. So they hit all game long, no matter who was pitching. Uh, righties, lefties didn't matter. Um, and that's what you like to see. You want consistency up and down the order from you know the beginning of the game to the end. And this is really the first game of the year where we really did it from like for a whole nine innings. You know, this was a very complete performance um, from the lineup at the plate and from uh, the pitching staff as well. Just an overall really, really good uh, baseball game for the Guardians. Really good. You know, late in the game, scoring those runs off of uh, Ryan Barucki and Casey Lawrence. Uh, Very, very impressive work. Speaking of impressive work, Tristan McKenzie on the mound for the Guardians. Awesome. Yeah, he looked great. Yep. He had the, uh, six Ks, uh, six complete innings of work, uh, 102 pitches, 68 thrown for strikes, and he only gave up the four hits and the two earned runs. Yeah, the, the two earned runs are really the only blemish on this, but, you know, this was another good start for McKenzie. I mean, he's, he's put two good ones back-to-back now after, you know, doing his thing against Oakland, which, again, it's Oakland. You know, pretty much anyone can have a good day against that lineup. But <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know, doing against Toronto and the way that Toronto has shown their ability to swing the bat, not just on this season, but in this series in particular, he did a really good job of of limiting that lineup and you know making it and giving the uh, the Guardians an opportunity to win. Yeah, he looked like the Guardians' best pitcher this weekend. Um, he was really good. 
Um, that, that that's huge. We need this out of him, especially with the guys in the back end of the starting rotation struggling a little bit. Um, so this was awesome to see because this is a really scary lineup. Like there's not many lineups in baseball that are more intimidating than this one. Um, and, and he did, he handled everybody well. Uh, like, you know, he did a really good job of limiting damage, uh, only gave up the one run in the first and the one run in the second, and then was pretty much lights out. Uh, and then the bullpen too, uh, three innings of hitless baseball by the bullpen. So no hits, uh, through the last three innings for the Tiger or for the Blue Jays, <laughs> uh, Brian Shaw, Trevor Steffen, Emmanuel Classe uh, keeping the Blue Jays off the base paths for those final three innings. Classe with his uh, maiden appearance wasn't a save situation, but he had a very, very quick inning of work, just six pitches. That was an awesome inning to uh, end the those... ninth. <laughs> well, that's what you love to see—a uh, guy coming in and just shutting the door like that. Fucking immaculate inning, man. I'll t- I'll take a six pitch thing over nine strikes at any inning. Um, that yeah, it was awesome to get to get them to ground out and then the the fly out at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think if Class A can be okay with that, but be okay with guys you know getting bad on ball, he's a better pitcher when he does that. When he tries to just throw it by you, you know he could start missing his spots. He can get a little wild. But he felt really, like, dialed in and just, okay, like, if if I put this pitch here, like, yeah, he can hit that, but it's going to go right to my guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was very willing to do that in a non-save situation. I think that had a lot to do with it was, okay, let's, let's let him put the ball in play. You know, I've got six runs to work with. Yeah. Um, and, and he looked really, really good. So super efficient. Yeah, very efficient, very uh, economical inning. There's- that's a very good word for it. For Classe. Uh, you know, he knew he had he had uh, a buffer zone. And he's just like, all right, I'm just going to let them hit into the outs of this game and just get over with. Yep. No one yeah. wants to sit me, sit, stand on the mound for 20 minutes to close this game out, throwing 20 pitches and getting three strikeouts across four different batters. Let's just get this bitch over with and, uh, and go home. Yeah, 100%. Especially when you're a closer, too, and, you know, you live for the save situation. So, like, when you come out of the bullpen and you've got a six-round lead, it's like you can you can be different. And I think he was really a different guy in this uh, in this outing, and it, it paid off. I mean, it ended up being the most efficient inning I can remember from Emmanuel Classe ever, really. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember any, uh, any innings from him that were this efficient. With a positive ending as well, so maybe just throw that out there. Yeah. You know, tech, you know, maybe he threw three pitches, but one of them was a home run, and the other two, or you know, the other one was a ground out. Like, who cares right. that he threw that if you give up the home run? But point being, two straight outings for him, and both really, really good. So he's putting together good outings, um, no matter what the situation is, which is good to see. It is very good to see, and uh, things that are also very good to see. Uh, the Guardians are going into the fourth game of a four-game series after a doubleheader the night before, going with this weird bullpenning kind of piggyback mini-start attack and having it working. Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, we mentioned it as a possibility uh, in the last pod, in the preview pod of this series, mm-hmm. of Eli Morgan having some some usage. We were We were right. Uh, we didn't think that he'd be the second guy, uh, 
But again, I don't think we really factored Connor Pilkington into the possibility of the equation for this game. Yeah, I was a little caught off guard when I saw he was starting this one. Um, I expected to see Eli Morgan start this one. Um, but yeah, they ended up doing a, a little bit of a platoon start. And you know, you know that's that's perfectly fine. I mean, they, they had Pilkington, they used him. I, I believe he's back with Columbus now. But mm-hmm. I, I do really like them going with this three innings from Pilkington on the left side of the rubber, then switching over to Morgan on the right side. Like, yeah, I do too. Like, when you have to you know, manufacture a start, which is essentially what they did, between the two of them, they pitched seven innings and allowed four hits and three runs. I mean, that's a quality start if you combine the two. Um, yeah, that's that's a quality start. That's as good as it gets for, for a platoon effort. You know, that these things usually, I mean, we've seen them not work out well in the past. Uh, but for the Guardians in this case, uh, it, it worked out perfectly, really. Um, but like we said before, though, at top of the first inning, Toronto Blue Jays, two runs. Um, so again, starting this game from behind, uh, Toronto with a tone setter early. Um, but uh, this young team, like we said before, they, they have no quit in them whatsoever. Um, to go down again for the fourth game in a row and, and just answer back again, like time and time again, all series long, was really good to see. Um, it's almost like these young guys don't know any better. Like in these situations where they're supposed to fall short, it's like they're they're coming up huge. And, and a lot of that, I think, is just like the youthful energy of this team is just carrying them beyond beyond what their ceiling is. Also, mm-hmm. it's it's made this season. It's given me more optimism for this season. The way that they've responded uh, time and time again after going down early. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, a, a big uh, catalyst for, I would say, for this comeback is Jose Ramirez's RBI triple in the third inning. Yeah, huge. And, and again, Quan on base. You know, he, he got on and scored. <laughs> Hashtag Quan base percentage. Um, yeah, exactly. This It's all he does is get on base. Oh, man, this guy must be Billy Bean's favorite player. He's got to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, Quan currently at the 407 uh, OBP, just under Jose Ramirez's 410 and Owen Miller's 424 OBPs. As a rookie. As a rookie. A month into his career. Yeah, it's absolutely mind-blowing what this kid is doing. But And uh, then the home run to boot. A home run, which I didn't know if we'd see one all year for him. Yeah, I, I don't picture him to be a, a big home run guy. He did hit, I think, 12 uh, last year in the minors. Oh wow, that's more than I thought. But it's still not a not a big home run type of guy. Uh, it, at least he's not like an Omar Vizquel, where it's like once every four years he'll hit one. <laughs> oh, here we go. Random Cleveland baseball player of years past who barely played for the team. Uh, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready for this one? Let's hear it. Mark Grudzelanek. Oh, interesting. Played 30 games in 2010 at the age of 40 after not playing in 2009 at all. Wow. For a major league team. Uh, he played 11 games for Minnesota in double-A and rookie ball. Wow. Uh, but he, Mark Grudzelanek's uh, 90 career home runs. 90. Didn't get to 100. That would have been nice to get to triple digits. Uh, yeah. Just just short of 
getting to triple digits. He did not homer often. Um, he did not. Uh, he had double digit home runs once. Oh, I'm sorry. No, once. Let me uh, get once. the minors off here. Once. Uh, no, yeah, it was, think... no, it was twice. Uh, he hit 10 and 98 for Montreal and L.A. Then he hit uh, 13 in 2001 for the Dodgers. Okay. But, I mean, it's, it's not big home run production. Lots of doubles. No. Yeah, I think that that's probably numbers we could expect Quan to be like somewhere in that range. I, I'd be happy with that if he hits doubles, gets on base, and steals some hell, bases too. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, that's one thing we haven't done great so far this season is uh, stealing bases. I'd like to see us get a little more involved on the base pass. I, I feel like some of the, the guys on the team have done pretty good job in that department. Uh, it might be better than I'm imagining. I, I think it's just because the like when we... It seems like recently in situations where I thought we would steal, we didn't. It's just like recency bias in my mind. Let's see. Let me pull up the stolen base leaders here. I got the uh, sorting through. Uh, Cleveland is... Okay, they're 16th. They have 14 stolen bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just four behind third. Oh, so not as bad as I thought. Uh, it's, the, it's the top two that are kind of a, a big gap. Tampa Bay has 21, and St. Louis has 26. Right. I expected us to be a team that would run more. We'll put it that way. I, I, think, I, they'll, I think they'll run more uh, as time goes on. I mean, we saw them with some pretty you know free passes to run in this series, um, even though they didn't in the fourth game. Yeah. But, you know, they're stealing bases. I mean, they're 14 to 20. So you really can't like complain. You can't argue. No, and you can't argue with Tito taking, you know, not taking the bat out of guys' hands and and just saying, you know what, you know, let's let's not take a risk of getting the guy thrown out. Uh, let's give this guy an at bat and see what he can do. Um, and I think so. Like the reason we haven't run as much is basically because our our offense has been way more potent than we thought we were going to be. So we just haven't needed to. Um, but as the season goes on and some of these guys go through cold streaks, um, I think it's something we will have to do to try to manufacture runs. Um, cause right now everybody's just hitting and it's, it, it, it's not going to last. That won't sustain uh, at some point in time, you know, a couple of these guys are, are going to go cold. Mm-hmm. But someone who was not cold in this game was Framio Reyes. He went three for four. <laughs> Beast. Yeah. He was awesome in this game. He, he didn't drive in any runs, but he was able to get some hits, score a run, you know. Not only that, James, but he had a hit to left field, he had a hit to right field, and he had a hit right up the middle. You know what that I mean, tells me? What's that? He's seeing the ball well, finally. Yeah, finally, finally. It, it, the, the thing that early in the year that I noticed, just as, you know, baseball observer mm-hmm. was that he just had absolutely no balance in the box like mm-hmm. he, he he was just all over the place balance wise and right now he seems really steady in the box and he's kind of minimized his movements uh and since he's done that like like you know like you said he's seeing the ball very well he's if the ball's on you know if the ball's outside he's taking it the other way to right field uh if he gets jammed up you know he turns on it and pulls it the other way so, yeah, he, he's doing a lot of good things at the plate right now, and that signifies to me that um, I think he's waking up. I think that this is legit and that we're going to start seeing, um, you know, more of the Fran Mill we saw in the past and 
less of this guy who was a shell of himself in April. Yeah, it, it's going to be definitely his balance that he is showing. You are right there. Um, mm-hmm. He has he's seeing the ball better, and he has good bat control. You know, he's not. He does have good bat control. He, he did not have that earlier in the year. His ability to control the bat, and, you know, kind of you know maybe go with the ball instead of trying to pull everything and hit it onto the home run porch. Not everything needs to be a pull pull homer. Exactly. Exactly. A a, a double to right field is is still productive and still good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and to to when you start hitting the ball the other way, that's that's the best sign for a a power hitter like Framel because those are the guys that are notorious for just getting caught in pull city. It's just I'm gonna pull the shit out of everything and try to hit it like at it try to hit everything out of here mm-hmm. and he he's not doing that like he he's going up and he's having a a good approach um like someone in the five or six spot should you know and mm-hmm. uh ever since he's changed his approach a little bit and calmed down uh his movements in the box it, it seems like he's uh really coming into his own in may so that's good to see yeah and he, like you just said when a guy's going to you know to right field or right center it, it shows you that they've got pretty good i guess control of what they're doing and Mm -hmm. if you look at it uh from a guy that used to be a pain in the neck probably about 15 years ago to about 10 uh remember maglio ordonez for the tigers oh yes that dude went to right center all the time yeah he was notorious for that um yeah a guy guy like uh the catcher in me wants to say joe mauer joe mauer used to go the other way all the time too but, you know, those guys are consistently getting hits. They're consistently uh, just a just a nightmare to face from a pitching perspective. So, yeah, complete hitters. So, you know, if Ramio Reyes is treading in that direction and showing some of those traits, that's, that's very encouraging to see. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what we need from him. You know, we, we know he's never going to be a star in the field defensively. Um, his, his spot is probably best served at DH. Um, and if he can hit like a DH, then, you know, we can afford to keep him there because DH is a position that you want to have, you want to have numbers out of, you know, you want slugging numbers. You want to see him hitting doubles. You want to see him driving in runs. Uh, you want to see home runs. Uh, so yeah, they're expected to do a little bit more, uh, as power hitters than, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody like a Steven Kwan or a a Jimenez or Mercado. Yeah. and, And so far he is still, uh, Struggling overall in the slugging department on the year, just 330. But again, those numbers are much more impressive over the six games in May he has played. Right, and the slugging will come too. Like any anybody who's ever played knows that when you're in a slump, you you don't come out of it just raking. It's usually you get a seeing eye base hit, and it's like, oh, that felt good, you know. And, and then you you start putting some base hits together, and then it comes. Then you start slugging the ball. Um, so I, I think we will see that stuff come for Fran Mill. Um, he's just kind of in the process of working through uh, that funk that he was in because he kind of had the yips a little bit, and uh, I think he's working through that. It, it definitely seems like he's come out on the other side, and you know, just sometimes just a, a slow trickle, then all of a sudden it's just a complete waterfall of hits. Yeah, and hopefully that's what we'll see from him. But uh, any final thoughts on this series, uh, on this game maybe? Uh, Class A came and got another save. That was good. Uh, yeah, another really efficient outing too. Nine pitches. 
I mean, that's that's what you like to see. That's what you you expect to see from Class A. But you know, overall, feeling pretty good about this series. Yeah, really good. Um, but Class A in his two outings, let's see, he threw six in the last outing, no hits, no walks, and then he threw nine. So he's thrown 15 pitches and allowed no walks and no hits in the last two outings. So he's on right now. It's so good that he's on. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good, and uh, it's going to give this team confidence moving forward. Um, but last thoughts on the series is just that uh, this went much better than I anticipated and better than I had hoped. And uh, I, this is a really big statement series for the Guardians, I think, um, for it not to be a sweep. You know, we've either swept or got swept. So for them to split a doubleheader and, and you know, bounce back from a loss right away with a win – um, really good to see. So a lot of good things this weekend from the Guardians. Uh, good week overall. I mean, they, they split with the Padres. They took three out of four from, from Toronto. I mean, that's, I mean. Seven, uh, seven out of ten, yeah. Can't, can't, can't be mad about that. No, not at all. I mean, pretty, pretty good spot to be in. Uh, you know, they, they played some legit opponents and they, they came away with a two, uh, you know, you know, one, one split and, you know, three and four, or you know, three out of four. So I mean, you really can't complain. I mean, because when they're some of the other series they played these against these type of opponents, they were getting swept, whether it was yeah. the Yankees or the Giants or the Angels. Right. When when we went up against these these teams that are supposed to be contenders, uh, we did not look like the same team that was you know, sweeping some of these lower level teams like the Reds and, and whatnot earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally different, totally different opponent when you're going up four games against a team like the Blue Jays is a tough series. Um, and this was one that I had circled and was like, okay, we're going to find out, like, is this team legit or are they not? Um, and I think taking, you know, three out of four from the Blue Jays and, um, limiting the damage and the way that they came back in all, you know, all three of those wins, uh, really, really big, uh, for the guardians, like just a lot to be optimistic about right now. I really like where we're at, uh, almost halfway through May. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good spot. I mean, they're, they're 500 right now. They're 14 14, mm-hmm. uh, you know, considering expectations for this team and, you know, where we think that they'll ultimately be, you really can't complain. Not at no, all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, this is a very good start. Um, thirty games. We'll we'll call it thirty. They're at twenty eight. But yeah, thirty games into the year, uh, for a team with the expectations that the Guardians had to come out five hundred is like I think any of us would have taken that at the beginning of the season. Oh, absolutely. You know, can you know you look at, I think, relatively low expectations for certain spots in the order and uh, complete unknowns and others and. I, I yeah. think this is a, a very good spot for them to be in. Yeah, and, and then the one shocking statistic for me, uh, there's only one team in the American League that scored more runs than the Guardians, and that is the Angels. So that's something I did not expect to see uh, 28 games into the year. I didn't either for, for both teams. Um... Yeah, yeah, honestly, for both teams. And the Angels, look at them. You know, They're sitting pretty in first place right now in the West. I mean, and they are. I mean, we'll we'll see how long uh, that goes on and how long yeah, that lasts. Yeah, 
the Strohs are on a seven-game winning streak, so they're hot. Um, I don't know how long they'll be able to hold them off, but yeah, really impressive stuff from the Guardians to have 132 runs already. Pretty good, uh, you know. I, I think the I guess important aspect there is that they have a positive run differential. <laughs> you know, yeah, plus ten. Plus ten's good. Plus ten's good. You know, you got you got to be happy with that after how many games they played. I mean, it's no plus seventy four of what the Dodgers have, but uh, nothing's going to be that. Um, <laughs> no, no, we kind of knew that going into this year they were going to be that kind of team. Uh, did not really know what we were going to get from the Guardians, uh, but yeah, ten plus ten run differential. Uh, the White Sox, who are half game ahead of us, minus 13. Um, so interesting. Interesting to see the White Hawks with a half game lead uh, and a minus 13 run differential. So you you got to imagine that's uh, that's going to level out. That's going to go the other direction for the White Sox. Uh, we'll start to see that level out, I would think. It, it's going to have to, really. I mean, you, you look at the White Sox. They've won six in a row. They've won six in a row, and they still have a negative 13 diff. <laughs> it's it's re- crazy. That's really bad. I mean, they did go through that stretch where they lost, what was this, seven in a row? Yeah. They, Starting they when we, eight in a row, dating back dating back to the second series of the season. Mm-hmm. From, from Tampa to their first game with Kansas City, it was eight losses in a row. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they've they've kind of got off to a start like we have, just very streaky. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I guess the difference is that uh, Cleveland's scoring runs, and I guess we'll find a, uh, I guess a natural conclusion to which streak continues and which one ends uh, this evening when the Guardians go to Chicago to play the White Sox. That's right. We got an eight ten start tonight on the bump for us. Zach Plesac versus Michael Kopech. Yeah, uh, Zach Plesac, uh he has thrown his good amount, good fair share of batting practice to the White Sox in previous starts. Yes. Uh, Luis Roberts, 7 for 13. Lowry Garcia, 5 for 15. Adam Engel, 4 for 10. Mm. Oof, that's mm. brutal to give that up to Adam Engel. Uh, Jose Abreu is 5 for 20. Tim Anderson, surprisingly, only just 4 for 21. But Abreu and Anderson both have homered two for Anderson, one just for Abreu. But, yeah, not not great. He's given up a 300 batting average and a 724 OPS to these uh, White Sox hitters in over 108 at-bats. And I've got very bad news for Zach Plesak because two of those guys you mentioned, Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson, are on fire right now. Mm-hmm. Jose Abreu has five doubles, three home runs, and 11 RBIs. Uh, for the White Sox and Tim Anderson been 12 for 36 with a double and a home run over the past 10 games for each of them. So <laughs> they are hot right now, both of those guys. Well, let's hope regression comes and the complete opposite happens. And Zach Plesak has a, a very deep start. Uh, he strikes out everyone and uh, doesn't allow any runs. <laughs> How's it looking the other way? What's our lineup looking against uh, Kopesh? Uh, all right, so there's a couple guys that have. Uh, there's not a lot of experience here, honestly. Uh, 23 total at-bats against Kopech. Um, Mercado's 2-for-3 with a double. That's the highlight, really. Austin Hedges, 1-for-2. Josh Naylor, 1-for-2. Jose Ramirez, 1-for-5. Rosario, 1-for-3. Straw, 1-for-4. Reyes, 0-for-3. Okay. So well, not much to go off of here. Uh, one walk to seven strikeouts. 
Well, here's the good news. Jose Ramirez has seven home runs, 15 walks, and 29 RBIs on the year. Uh, obviously, you know those numbers. Andres Jimenez, 14 for 36 with three doubles, a home run, and nine RBIs over the last 10 games. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two guys um, hopefully will be able to do some damage uh, in the middle of the lineup for the Guardians and be able to keep up with uh, what Abreu and Anderson are doing uh, over there on the other side of things in the south side of Chicago. Yeah, looking at uh, who Kopech has faced, um, it's not the the 27 Yankees by any means, uh, but the the Cubs, the Royals, the Twins, the Rays, the, the Tigers, you're, we're not looking at offensive juggernauts here. And no wins for him yet on the season, too. Really? He, Ironic. Oh, my. How is he not have? He has a 1.17 ERA and a 104 whip, and he doesn't have a win on the season. I know, like, two of his appearances, he didn't go five innings, but, like... Talk about getting DeGromed. Uh, yeah. That's sad. That, but, yeah, he's he's pitched phenomenal, but like you said, like, he hasn't really went up against any gaudy lineups. Yeah, it's not like he shut down, like, the Yankees, Dodgers, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Or any of those lineups. I mean, it's, there's some forgettable lineups in here. Yeah. There and is. For what it's worth, uh, the line on the game tonight, White Sox minus 181, heavy, heavy favorites. Uh, so Vegas really likes uh, this Kopech over Plesak matchup. Uh, over under is set to seven and a half runs. So, yeah, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, uh, any betting on this particular game? I'd check the weather. I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Chicago today. Or I have no clue. But... You can always, always assume it's going to be windy and probably a little chilly. Yeah, probably always a little chilly in Chicago. Let's see. Yeah. Chicago, uh, yeah, a little windy. Eh, Got to be cloudy. It's not necessarily uh, that terrible. So... Anyways, that's game one. Plesak, Kopech should start off what should be a good series between division rivals. Uh, But the good news is that uh, game two, uh, Cal Contra was a little bit better in the department of pitching against the White Sox and Zach Plesak. Yeah, he's got Giolito, right? Yeah, he's got Giolito, which we'll get to him and how unfortunate that is in a second. But yeah. uh, yeah, Luis Robert is there. Went two for five. Uh, everyone else has one hit or less against him. Uh, the only home run he allowed is to Yasmani Grandal of all people. Oh wow! Huh. Uh, but yeah. Well, uh, the good news is is Quantrill hasn't given up many dingers this year. He's only given up one home run. Um. So hopefully, you know, those guys don't get to him in that fashion. I mean, Quantrill's been, he's been steady. You know, he's, he's good, yeah. I mean, he, for Cal, I think his numbers are about as good as you can ask for at this point. He's got three straight quality starts, just only has, they've only ended up winning one game. I mean, he's gotten uh, one loss, one decision over his, over his last four starts, actually just one decision. But, yeah. like, he's, he's doing... He's pretty good. It's just the the pitch count seems to get to him a, a little high early on in the game, which. Yep, and he he's been walking uh, quite a few guys too. You, you'd like to see that strikeout to walk ratio be a lot better than it is. Yeah, that those five walks uh, against San Diego not great, but. Uh uh-uh. uh I do not believe the White Sox are going to be looking to walk as much as uh, 
No, much more, much more, aggra- uh, much more aggressive lineup for sure. So, yeah, I don't anticipate that being as big of a problem this series for him. Yeah, like the the big guys that that walk in their lineup really is is uh, probably a Brayu. Yeah, I could probably see Grandall taking walks too, but like not as much. But, yeah, Brayu sees the ball pretty well. He 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 takes quite a few walks. Yeah, I'm just trying to to pull up this wonderful walk number because I went to ESPN and they gave me player stats and not. Let's see, Chicago White Sox are dead last in walks at 58. Wow. Meanwhile, the Padres are first with 122. So two complete opposite ends of the spectrum, literally. Okay. So yeah, looking at just that alone. That should help out a lot. Yeah, their pitching's been on lately. Like over these last five games, they've won. They've won all of them, and the most runs they scored is four runs in a game. So like they, they had a three-two win, three-one, uh, three-to-one win, four-to-two win, four-to-three win, three-to-one win. Uh, so yeah, the Cubs and the Red Sox could not get to their pitching. Um, so, but their offense didn't do much. So even though they are coming in real hot, uh, it's not like they've been putting up eight, nine, 10 runs a night. Um, so that's good to see. Yeah. And they, uh, they don't strike out a whole lot either. They are, uh, 29th with 193 strikeouts, but I guess kind of goes together with their low walk number is there a team that puts the ball in play a lot, but you know, Quantrill seems to be more on the put-the-ball-in-play type of uh, pitcher. Uh, right. You know, the seven strikeouts and five walks, an anomaly for, for him in both ends uh, both ends in the strikeout-walk department because it's usually around three at most and yeah. two to four in every other start. So, Yeah, that's a good point. But looking at Giolito, uh, not great. Uh, good news, Jose Ramirez has some good history, seven for 25, two doubles, a homer, five there walks. Uh, then everything goes downhill from there. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, uh, two for nine. Miles Straw, two for six with a double. Uh, Mercado, one for nine. Miller, one for three. Naylor, one for six. Jimenez, Hedges, Maley, Reyes, all hitless. Ugh. Reyes has six strikeouts and ten at-bats against Giolito. Giolito's a good pitcher, and he's going to give them a hard time. Uh, we faced them already this season, haven't we? Or we're supposed to? Or no, I think I, we were supposed to, and it got postponed. Maybe. Yeah, I think that might have been one of the rained out games. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a two week gap where he didn't start. He either got did he get hurt, or I'm not did sure. he? Let's see. He's only thrown 19 innings, so. Yeah, he uh, Giolito got hurt. Okay. A month ago, he was on the he's on the IL. I gotcha. That makes sense then. Well, let's see. He was on the IL about a month ago, so we missed him. About a month ago. About a, about a month ago. So, okay. <laughs> uh, but, so, we'll see how it goes this time. Because, uh, again, those numbers are from the uh, previous version of this Guardians team that didn't have necessarily the approach they have now. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, and then if you if you ascribe to do theory, a lot of those guys at the bottom of the lineup are due for a hit. So I like it. <laughs> maybe those guys at the bottom just all show up just out of a you know just a numbers game simply. 
And let's hope they show up in this game because uh, I have concern about uh, the third game. Uh, they're facing to be announced or to be determined or however you... They haven't named their starter for, for Game 3. The White Sox haven't. But we know who's starting for Cleveland. It's Aaron Savale, and Savale has not had a fun time this year. And But in years past, it's been uh, the White Sox having a fun time when facing Savale. Um <laughs> Yeah, and he's coming into this game not pitching well. So no, uh, yeah, th- it's a nightmare matchup. This is definitely one. Um, I don't, I'm trying to see if I can get odds on this one yet, or if it's too soon. I, I expect Chicago to be heavily favored, regardless of who they start this game. Uh, I do too. Uh, Tim Anderson is seven for seventeen with two doubles, three home runs, uh, with a ridiculous OPS of one point four seven one when facing Savali. And, uh, and, of course, I just rattled off his numbers in the last 10 games. He's on fire. So, uh, it, yeah. yeah, that's a matchup you definitely want to circle uh, to keep eyes on because uh, I would imagine that he'll be a guy Savali will not be excited to pitch to. Yeah, uh, neither will uh, Luis Robert. 5 for 11 with the home run as well. Mm. Uh, Lori Garcia is 3 for 10. That's really the... Best. Danny Mendix, two for three, but he's like a part-time player. Uh, right. Uh, Jose Abreu is rising only 215 with three strikeouts and four walks. Uh, Adam Engel, 0 for seven. Reese McGuire, 1 for two. Gavin Sheets, 0 for one. Yeah. Savali's already given up four home runs this year. So, yeah, I'd look for a couple to leave the ballpark on this particular day probably as well. Yeah, it, you know, it, it seems it's uh, very likely, very possible for that to happen uh, with Savali mm-hmm. on the mound. Is you know the way things have gone for him this year, just it has not been his year. But it, like you said earlier, if you subscribe to the do theory, he's due for a good outing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do theory is the best. Uh, it always gives you hope. Yeah, it, it, that's what you need sometimes. Just hope. You need yeah. some hope. Give me some hope. This guy's due to have a good yeah. outing. And sometimes, you know what, it happens. But it, that's the great thing about streaks is that they always get broken. And when you're on a bad one, it's like, man, he's got to break this eventually. So, yeah, it's a, the light at the end of the tunnel is due theory. And and he's definitely due. He has not gone six innings in any start. Uh, he, he hasn't allowed yeah. less than four runs since the second week of the season. Oh, uh, Lord. Yeah. He's four runs have come across this four runs or more have come across the score in every one of his starts. Um, yeah, not too excited for that one, James. Uh, uh, you gotta, you gotta try. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta try. Uh, hope for the do theory to come true for uh, for Savali, I guess. Yeah, either hope that or hope for rain in Chicago at two ten p.m. Yeah, and hope that it's gonna rain all day and this game gets yeah. uh, postponed <laughs> and they. Literally make wash the way off the schedule. Yeah, they, they'll make it up uh, second half of the season, apparently. Maybe. Right. Or unless they bump it to like Monday or something. I don't know what the White Sox schedule is. Yeah, who knows. But anyways, that's the preview section of this pod. Do you know what that means? Trivia time. Time for some trivia. Okay. Do you want to go first or second this week? I will go second. Okay. All right, I have my question ready for you. Perfect. All right, this one, a little more straightforward. Got a little tricky for the past couple weeks. All right, 
We talk all the time on this show and others about how little we care about all-star performances mm -hmm. and why they don't matter. In 1989, what player won the American League MVP award without making the all-star team? 1989? American League MVP 1989. He did not make the all-star team that season, but was awarded the MVP of the league. 89, I'm feeling Oakland for some reason. Um, Jose Canseco? No, not Jose. Is it Mark McGuire? It's not Mark Ugh. McGuire. Do I even have the right team? Let's see. What's <laughs> that team? Let me see. Uh, at the time, no. Okay. Never, actually. Never. Never. Okay. 1989. Yeah. Oof. You stopped me. Okay. I don't exactly know how to say his last name. Robin Yount. Okay. Yount. Yount, Yount I believe. Robin Yount. Yount. Yeah, Robin Yount. Robin oh. Yount. 1989, Robin Yount was awarded that MVP award. He was not elected to the MLB All-Star Game that season, which just goes to show you all-Stars don't particularly mean much of anything because Robin Yount is actually a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> he was inducted in 1999 with 77.5% of the uh, vote. So first ballot Hall of Famer, yet somehow in 1989 they left him off the All-Star team. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to do that one because it was just kind of on brand with uh, a theme that you've heard from us throughout some of our shows. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the second uh, MVP for Yount in his career. His first one was in 82. But, yes, he uh, did make the All-Star team in 82, though. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, yeah. Here's why this throw me off, because uh, every once in a while I get tripped up with Milwaukee being in the American League. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That that's very and, true. I, every once in a while, that trips me up when it comes to stuff like this. I'm just like, uh, oh my god, god, damn it, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, that was a little tricky one, but a little more straightforward. But yeah, that was that, that was a good one. That's what I got for you, and then I had one other for you if you want a, another quick one. Sure, let's do a quick one. Okay, uh, this this catcher caught the most games in the major leagues in MLB history without appearing in a playoff game. Ooh. During his playing career. He did later appear in playoff games as a manager. That's your hint. As a manager, okay. Playoff game. I think this one might shock you. That's why I wanted to throw it in there. Catcher. Isn't this tough? Every every good catcher you think of, you remember these postseason performances of them. Is Joe Torre a catcher? You nailed it, buddy. Joe Torre <laughs> is the answer. Yes. Joe Torre has the MLB record. Um, I I had it written down somewhere and I lost it. Uh, it, it was something well over twenty two hundred games, if I remember correctly. That's insane. Yeah, 2,200 plus games caught at that position and never once appeared in a playoff game. Joe Torrey. 
Let's see. Uh, his career at catcher, 7,432 and a third innings as a catcher. <laughs> it's insane. Ah, see, here's why I asked, was George Torrey a catcher? I remember playing MLB The Show in Diamond Dynasty, and there was a Joe Torrey Mets card you could get for later in his career, and they had him at third base. Oh, okay. So, see, that happens a lot with catchers. Every once, every once in a while, the MLB The Show will do that. A guy plays a different position late in his career early on. Yeah. And uh, it can sometimes just kind of make its way to your baby, like Joe Torrey played third base for the Mets. Right, right. I know he played for, you know, he played for Atlanta, and, you know, and that's mostly where people think of him, you know, playing career-wise, or, you know. Right. Is playing for Atlanta, or playing for, you know, um, <clears throat> Milwaukee, but yeah, a little it's bit St. Funny. Louis. It's so funny how successful he, you know, was as a manager with the Yankees, like, that he never made it to the playoffs as a player. That's insane. That was, yeah, I thought that was a really cool one, so. That, that's, that's just all. that's just crazy to think about. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of hard work to never even once sniff the postseason. <laughs> all right, here's my trivia question for you. All right, I am ready. Who is the only baseball player to appear on the cover of Rolling Stone? Oh, this is a good question. There's only been one. Only been one. Oh, I know who I want it to be. I'm going to guess. Okay, I'm going to guess who I want it to be. I'm ready. Is it Brian Wilson? It is not Brian Wilson. Ah, okay. Let me try again. I'll, I'll give you one more guess, but here will be my uh, clue for you. Okay. Uh, it happened... In the 70s. In the 70s. Ooh. Was it Johnny Bench? It was not Johnny Bench. Okay. I have, I have no clue then. I can't think of who in the 70s would have been Rolling Stone material. So I'll give oh, you. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, I think I know it. Uh, the, the guy who threw the no hitter on LSD. It is, it is not Doc Ellis. Ah, it's not Doc Ellis of the Pirates. Okay. Now, I'll give you one more clue, and if you know nicknames well, this might be the giveaway. Okay. He also appeared on Sports Illustrated twice, once with Sesame Street character Big Bird. Big Bird. Is it Mark the Bird Fidrich? Yes, it is. Hey, that's the hint I needed. Yeah. That's the hint I needed. And the, the only reason I knew that nickname so well is my dad... Uh, used to play catch with me with a Mark Fidrich autographed baseball when I was young. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. It's just like the most random thing, but he he, he just, I, I don't know why, he loved playing catch with that Mark Bird Fidrich ball. So, Yeah, definitely one of baseball's more eccentric individuals, if you are unfamiliar with Mark the Bird Fidrich. Yeah. Uh, Look into his uh, his history, or just watch some videos of him pitching, because you'll just be like, "What the hell is he doing?" He's a space cadet. Space cadet's a good way to describe him. <laughs> he is a space cadet. That uh, that's awesome trivia, though. That's fun. I like that one a lot. That's a good one. You know. Yeah. I, I remember when uh, I lived in Michigan at the time when he died, and there was a lot of uh, you know stuff that they showed about him and talked about him. Uh, yeah. 
And, you know, they're showing him, like, talking to the ball and guiding it and, you know, throwing balls out because he thought there were hits in them. Yeah, that's crazy. It's that's that, crazy. That's, that's, that's crazy 70s uh, era, maybe Doc Ellis type stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, base, baseball is notorious for, like, superstition and weird stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. like... Yeah, he he's very like Bill Walton esque in that. Oh, way. yeah, that's a, that's a good comparison. Yeah, he's like the Bill Walton of baseball, I would say. Yeah, with a, a very short career, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But uh, with that, that will do it with that wonderful round of trivia we had there. Uh, two for three between the two of us, so well, I think well, I think that's pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty good. Pretty good. We'll take pretty it. Pretty good. I will take that any day of the week. And just a reminder here at the end of the podcast, like, comment, share, rate five stars, subscribe, tell your friends and family if you don't, it's stealing. Podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and ThisIsBelieveOne.com. And uh, just a quick reminder, go Guardians. Go Guardians. Go Guardians.